0: my friends. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. You join us today and we're we're quite a few hundred episodes into our amazing journey together through the Bible. But if you're here for the first time, then it's still not too late to maybe go right back to the beginning and pay catch up for A little while as you maybe listen to a couple of episodes a day till you catch up with us. Other than that, you could always just go back 20-odd episodes to the beginning of Matthew and then join us on this amazing journey together through the whole Bible. Now, if you are here for the very first time, let me just tell you that everything I do and say is put in the public domain, copyright free, for you to use in whatever way you want to use it for your own personal study and edification, or even in the preparation of materials, if you're called in some way to be a Bible teacher or preacher. Which means that there is always in the episode notes, links to ways that you can connect to my ministry and the other teaching courses that I make available. Not only through the main thing, which is a daily podcast, but one-off talks and courses that I put on places like YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and even my Patreon page, place where you can decide if you want to connect and partner with me in my ministry. But as well as the actual teaching material, each time I do one of these podcasts, an approximate transcript of what I've said is put in the notes section of the podcast. Doesn't matter where you're receiving it from, you just click through and you'll find a link to the transcript there. So with that all said, a very wonderful welcome to all of you all around the world. The podcast is now being heard in over 150 countries worldwide, which is absolutely astonishing to me, and I'm so grateful that God's using it in this way to help people make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. But today we're going to start a new section looking at the idea of sexual sin and the lust of the eye as revealed by the teaching of Jesus in this very famous passage of his teaching called the Sermon on the Mount and I'll see you again at the end just to sign off and update you on a few things but anyway that's it for now I'll see you in a minute bye for now Hi friends, let me ask you a question. What do you think Bill Cosby will be remembered for? Will it be his five Primetime Emmy Awards, his eight Grammys, his two Golden Globes, maybe his Presidential Medal of Freedom in 2002 or his Humanitarian Award in 2003? Or perhaps the thing that will endure the most will be his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Or will it be the fact that Cosby in later life faced numerous sexual assault charges where various women, many women made claims that he had not only sexually assaulted, but that he had drugged some first as well. I wonder which he'll be remembered for. But let's think about the political realm. In the UK, I wonder what Winston Churchill will be famous for. Will it be the fact that he won the Second World War? What about another politician, John Perfumo? He was the Minister of Defence in the 1960s here. What is he famous for? What does he spring to the mind? Well, certainly if you're in the UK, it was the fact that he had an affair with a prostitute who was also sleeping with a Russian spy. And if we think about American history, and American presidents wonder what will be written in the fullness of time about Theodore Roosevelt. He will probably be remembered for bringing America out of the depression and Harry Truman for helping end World War II. Maybe even John Kennedy, he kind of wrote a chapter in history by articulating a vision that one day we should put a man on the moon. And some would credit Ronald Reagan for bringing down the Berlin Wall. But I wonder what Bill Clinton will be remembered for. Now Clinton, during his presidency, was in charge over a period of unparalleled economic prosperity. But be that as it may, the one thing that may go down in history books and may remain in the mind of most Americans was the fact that he was impeached and for lying to Congress and lying under oath about affair he had had when he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The woman being Monica Lewinsky. If we think about the Bill Clinton situation, now it was proven beyond any reasonable doubt that it was indeed true. He had had sexual relationship with Monica Lewinsky, but he contested it on the basis of his definition of what it meant to have sex. So that brings us to the question, what is the definition of sexual immorality? And who defines it and what is the biblical definition of sexual immorality? The answer to that question may not be as simple as it seems. For example, the definition of adultery in most countries is what is legally referred to as fornication. But what is the definition Jesus applies here in his Sermon on the Mount? You will remember that Jesus is preaching that our righteousness must exceed this external righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact I have already pointed out several times that this whole Sermon on the Mount is about righteousness and the two different types of righteousness. An external righteousness as personified in the external pontifications and actions of the Pharisees and an internal righteousness and Jesus is using this to make that point. And to do that Jesus uses six examples to illustrate the difference between these two perspectives. Now the first of these we looked at in the last couple of episodes and that was about murder and how he widened the perspective on what that really meant and the one we're going to look at today concerns sex and sexual morality. In this passage Jesus gives us a definition of sexual immorality. So let's turn together Matthew chapter 5 and let's see what he has to say in this fascinating passage of scripture. I'm going to do as I often do which is read the verses from 27 to 30 that we should be looking at over the next couple of days and then we'll return to them verse by verse and consider and try and unpack them a bit as to what they really mean. So picking up the text in Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 It says this, and remember, this is Jesus speaking. You have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body go into hell. So in this passage, Jesus will be seen to discuss two things. Now we're going to look first of all at this view of sexual immorality and lust. But later on, tomorrow, he'll actually discuss adultery and divorce And after we get done with this passage, I will try and conclude it all and come back at the end and think about what this can teach us and how we can handle sexual immorality or the temptation towards sexual immorality from a biblical point of view. So let's try and get a handle on what the scripture really teaches about how we should handle this very common sin that many people are tempted by, particularly in our modern society. Now we'll get to some of this tomorrow, particularly the stuff about divorce, but let's first of all see what Jesus has to say about what the definition of sexual immorality is. He starts out in verse 27 and he said, You have heard that it was said, and this is a very important word, you shall not commit adultery. So again what Jesus is doing here, he's contrasting what the Pharisees taught in the oral law versus the Old Testament teaching and what it was really meant to point to. So when he says and introduces this passage by saying, you have heard it was said, it's really important to note that he did not say it is written. So he's not dealing exactly with the law of Moses as given on Mount Sinai here. He's dealing and addressing the subsequent interpretation of that law in the oral traditions that followed. So he's talking about what the Pharisees are saying about it, not what Moses himself first wrote down or brought down on the tablets from the mountain. What Moses said was simply, is thou shalt not commit adultery. And what the Pharisees said is that was, all that was included in that commandment was that particular external physical act. That's all it meant. If you haven't done that physical thing, you haven't committed that act of physical adultery, then you were okay with God. You'd never committed the sin. But here, in contrast to that, Jesus says, no, I want to clarify this commandment. And he says, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust in his heart has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, of course, this can equally apply to a female gaze in the inappropriate way upon a man and an inappropriate way of thinking towards a man. Now, this is a pretty difficult statement, so we need to dig into it to see exactly what it means. Does it mean that all you have to do is look and then you've committed adultery? Is that exactly what it's saying? Well, if you look very carefully, he says, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman Now in the Greek text the word look is what's called a purpose clause so the idea here being said is not just that you look is that you look and the look lands and it stays in the head and that look it's a look of intent it's looking at someone with sexual desire and holding it the male gaze is sometimes called in art by art critics Many years ago, an older, mature Christian that I deeply respected was talking to me about this passage and he summed it up in this way. He says, the point is to look and to look in such a way that you say, you know what, I would if I could. It's not necessarily just looking at someone and accepting that they're beautiful. It's not even thinking they may be attractive. It's the intent that lies behind the gaze. As a matter of fact, that's highlighted by the fact that he says he has committed adultery already with her in his heart. There's obviously an outworking of a scenario in the mind, a, a fantasy if you like, that that's what they would want to do. And allowing that sexual desire to run its course in the mind of the person. And that's the whole point of this passage and this is just one illustration the previous one was about murder and and about how that lies in the heart of the person that may subsequently lead to a violent act and here it's doing the same thing it's about the motive and allowing the gaze to turn into something of a sexual nature but there's more to come But I need to say that the point of this entire passage is that unrighteousness comes always from having an incorrect internal attitude. It's not just the external act of physically committing a sin. Now I think this verse has given a lot of particularly young men trouble in thinking just because they had a thought pop into their head that they've already committed that act and they're condemned. And that has led some to think, well, if this is happening to me all the time, I can't stop it, so I might as well go ahead and commit the act and enjoy it. But that is a very deceptive logic. Obviously, as it's been said, and the old proverb fits it well you can't prevent the bird from landing in the tree, in other words, the thought from popping in your head, but you can prevent that bird from building a nest. I think the first person I ever heard say that was Billy Graham. So it's true, the thought may enter your head, but you don't have to build a shrine around it, and that's the point Jesus is making. Then he says this in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And then in verse 30, he says the same thing about the hand. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So this is pretty heavy stuff, isn't it, friends? To pluck out an eye or to cut off a hand. Now there is an element of hyperbole here, of course, but at the same time, there's no question that Jesus' purpose is teaching in this passage in this Gospel of Matthew, in the Sermon is the mind is to tell us that sin comes from the heart and it is a really serious matter. There's no question that this is the whole point of his message. It's the whole point in fact of Jesus's ministry. He's making a big issue out of this and he will again when it comes to chapter 15. This of course is highly figurative language in these last two verses. Because he's saying, if you cut off your right hand, well, you've still got your left. So you know he's obviously using a deliberate hyperbole, overemphasis here, to make the point that this is very significant and a serious thing. That is, if you let sin not just pop into your mind, but if you dwell on it and allow it to to go in that direction, you could end up in hell. And it's so radical that he's saying you need to take drastic measures to deal with it. And the picture he paints is one of plucking out an eye and cutting off a hand. I think what he's suggesting here in these two illustrations is that you have a choice between entering heaven with one eye and going to hell with two. And you'd be better off getting into heaven with just the one. His point here is that sex can become... And the wrong approach to sex can become the thing that hinders you from entering into and deepening your relationship with God. And of course, that's really serious. And the point is, he's saying, is at the heart of all of this, not just in this area of sexual sin, but in all areas, it's about the attitude. It's what's going on inside that counts. And you and I, we should do everything we can to prevent our hearts being inflamed by the the view of the eye or the attitude of the hand that it leads to action and no sacrifice is too great to try and stop that path being followed i think paul puts it in really helpful simple terms in roman chapter 13 where he says simply make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the loss thereof in other words don't go there don't make provisions for, for yourself for it Don't make provision for those things that tempt and test you. Cut yourself off, even if that means cutting yourself off from those people who influence you badly, but also the places, the books, the magazines, the TV channels, the websites, or anything else that provides the temptation that you might succumb to. Anything that might cause you to sin should be completely cut out of your life. That's clear enough, and that's what he's saying here. Now, up to this point, the Sermon on the Mount has been there to show the gulf that exists between this fake external type of righteousness, which is only interested in us being seen to follow a set of religious rules and regulations, and this internal type of holiness that we are all encouraged to strive for. And that will always begin with our internal attitude. But now, interestingly, at this point, Jesus will bring up of all things divorce and where that fits in and teach how the teaching on that will help us. But we look at that tomorrow. I'll just hit pause it there, friends, and we'll take a break. And we'll come back tomorrow, and we look. Uh, we'll close off this passage, looking at verse thirty and thirty-two, and what Jesus can teach us about sexual sin and how to avoid, how to avoid succumbing to the temptation of it. As I said at the beginning, I'm so encouraged that so many thousands of you, tens of thousands of us, have made the decision and the commitment to join together in the project to work through the entire Bible chapter by chapter, not just reading the Bible, but studying the Bible all the way through. And it gives me such a thrill that when I felt God gave me this uh, vision to begin this study series, that so many people are being helped by it. Now, if you are being helped by it, can I ask that you consider perhaps liking it or sharing it on any of these sort of social media type places because I'm told that's the way in which more people will see it and more people can make a decision if they want or if they're prompted to actually make the approach and study of the Word of God part of the rhythm of their daily lives as well. Now, one of the places you'll find a link in the episode notes to is the YouTube channel, and that is now a place where a long format of these audios are being put in video format. What I mean by that is I'm editing together either entire chapters or entire sections that seem to sit together, and putting them on playlists arranged by book. In other words, we've got Genesis and Matthew and also the introductory overview series, where we look at each of the 66 books individually so that's the place to go if you want to maybe if you've missed a few episodes and you want to listen to a longer format entire section together and it's also as we get further and further into this project and it becomes more and more complicated in terms of its structure you perhaps don't want to have to scroll back through hundreds and hundreds of episodes to find something in the podcast itself that you listen to or say you want to find you want to look at something like the Tower of Babel you don't want to have to go back 400 episodes it would be today to find the teaching in that so hopefully the playlists on YouTube will enable you to access teaching because I can create playlists not based only on the Bible books but also on themes as we go along now they will still be audio but they will be placed on YouTube with just the scriptures acting as a visual cue and then the soundtrack of the audio running in the background. So hopefully that means you can still listen to them uh, while you're moving around and doing other things. You're not uh, tied to staring at my face on the screen. So I hope you find that helpful, and that's the place to go if, you, if you've missed something and you want to access it. Also, the episodes are put temporarily as an audio compilation roughly once a week on the sister podcast, which is the Living in Faith Everyday podcast, where for two months, each block of teaching sits on there for a little while. So if you're away for a week and want to catch up, in one bite, you can do that there. But that's a temporary place, the Living in Faith Everyday podcast, and they just sit there temporarily for two months before dropping off. But finally, I would just like to say a really big thank you to each and every one of you who have made the commitment to just encourage me by coming along and accessing and listening to this podcast every day. We see past the significant milestone of 150,000 daily downloads just a week or so ago which is just amazing to me that there are so many of us who are listening and i trust are benefiting from this time together spent studying the word of god and if you are benefiting from it well i do hope you'll come back tomorrow and we'll pick up at the very next verse so i'll see you right back here tomorrow i trust on the bible project daily podcast bye bye for now